Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. I am in the habit, and I think that this is a good habit, by the way. I am in the habit of reading an entire text and an entire context in the introduction to the message that I'm preaching, I've always felt that this is the best approach, that we see what lies within the text and then we draw the truth from it. However, I'm going to do something very unusual for me this morning. Uh, this morning, yeah. This evening, and if you're, if you're not behaving, it'll be this tomorrow morning before we let out. Uh, but I'm going to read one verse. I'm going to re read one verse. And then after I read that one verse, I'm going to go back and then I'm just going to read half of that same verse. I'm going to pray. We're going to sit down. And then I want to explain to you what I see here in the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse number 29. Let's stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse number 29. And the Word of God says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Father, I pray that you would help me tonight. I ask, Father, that you would empty me of myself. Lord, that you would empty me of everything that I desire to say. Lord, that you would fill me with everything that you desire to say. I pray, Lord, that it would be your Holy Spirit that speaks to us, that comforts us, that instructs us, and Lord, that gives us understanding. And Father, when our understanding runs out and we enter into that space of the unknown secret things, Lord, I pray that we would give all to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This evening, I would like to preach on this topic when you don't know why. Many times I have received phone calls, had appointments scheduled, had conversations, sometimes conversations filled with agony, with tears, with remorse, and with pain. Because the answer to why was elusive. The answer to why was not clearly laid out in front of us. Oftentimes, whenever believers are asking, why, Pastor, would this happen? They, they join that with the question as well, why would God allow such a thing? We're not so far away from a situation in which we might ask that question, why would a little baby have to endure this? 
We read of these missionary letters, even during our last missions update, the theme was that there were so many of our missionaries battling severe medical conditions, some having to come back to the States. I think of Brother Michael Lambert as he has now been diagnosed with cancer and thank the Lord that it is in early stages and doesn't seem to be so severe and they're in a wait and see, but nonetheless, a man who has given him his life to the ministry who has already suffered many tragic things. For those who don't know, many years ago lost his wife to cancer while he was serving faithfully in the church, while they had children in the home. And I would not criticize him or anyone else in a similar situation to ask that question, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Have I done something wrong? Am I in sin? Why would the Lord allow such terrible things to happen to such innocent people? And I'll tell you the same thing tonight that I have regrettably had to tell so many others is that I don't know. This is a difficult thing for me, first off, because I like to know everything. I like to study things out. I like to search them out. I like to call people far more brilliant than I am and and ask them these sorts of questions and then take notes so that I could come behind this pulpit and pretend like I came up with it. I like to know answers. I like to be able to sort out problems and find solutions. I I like to be able to be relied on by the church to be able to search those difficult things of God and be able to come under the instruction of His Word and with the complexity of life situations, open the Bible and say, Thus saith the Lord, and this is what He's doing in your life, and here's what He would have you to do. But I'll be honest with you, there are many things that I just don't know why. We all ought to recognize this, that if you are in a situation in which you do not know the answer and you do not know why those things are happening to you, you are not special. You are not unique in your inability to grasp what is happening around you. It is, yes, very disorienting sometimes to see the wickedness and tragedy in this world, but yet know that we serve a good and gracious God and and struggle to reconcile those two realities. So given that those realities do exist, what on earth are we supposed to do? And that's what leads us to Deuteronomy 29.29. The Bible says the secret things... Those things that cannot be discovered. Those answers which have slipped through our fingers. Those solutions that have not become realities in the most hurtful and difficult circumstances of our life. Those things that have just not been able to be figured out and seem to be so inconsistent with the promises of God. What then should we do? We should recognize that those secret things belong unto the Lord our God. That there are a number of things that we will never be able to understand, nor see, nor grasp, nor be able to answer with any level of certainty or with any level of reconciliation between what we see on earth and what we know about our God. 
But this is what gives me comfort. And this is our launching point forward. Is that we ought to continually comfort ourselves with this. That every answer that we can't find, God still holds. That the secret things that we cannot discover, the answers that we desperately want but cannot find, if you want to know where they are, they are in the hand of God. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. The answers may not be ours even though we want them, but I'll tell you whose they are. They are His and we are going to leave them in His hands. Here the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 55 that my thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, my thoughts than your thoughts. Which brings us to this conclusion, is that when we don't know the answer, when we don't know the answer, it's not because God has done something wrong in withholding that or keeping that answer hidden. It's that God has done the right thing in withholding that answer or keeping that answer hidden. Our problem with God, we often do not discern to be that we want God to do things our way. And the reality is that God is higher than Burger King. Have it your way. God, I would like this answer without pickles and especially without onions. Extra mustard, please. God, could I please have my order with a large Dr. Pepper? And we try to order God as if he is some fast food window. And I know that you may not see it that way. And to be honest, I have great compassion and sensitivity because when these tragic moments occur in our life, we go to God because he is our rock. He is our fortress in whom we place our trust. And sometimes we can feel, dare I say, betrayed by our God because we know He's able. We know that our God is able to answer us because His ways are past finding out. His knowledge is unsearchable. He is omniscient. He knows all things. And we cannot reconcile in our mind how God would have the information that we think we need and yet keep it hidden. We feel like God is unjust. God is unrighteous in doing this. And this is our problem. And this is point number one. What to do when you don't know why. Number one, I would like to point out our inability to reason. Our inability to reason. Man is a very, well, I almost caught myself. I don't know if we are all that reasonable, but we sure think we are. Boy, I've met many unreasonable people. We try to, to show them this and try to show them that, but they will not hear it and they will not understand. And as, as much as you try to, to, to demonstrate and illustrate and patiently go through these things, a man is sometimes very unreasonable, but our problem is we think that we are very reasonable. That this is an answer that, that we are owed and that we should have. But the reality is we are unable to reason. In fact, I'm, I'm reminded of that servant of the Lord by the name of Job. 
And I know you are about to groan now because anytime the preacher brings Job into it, ultimately it comes down to <laughs> suffering and no answers. Do you realize that with all that Job lost, all of his children that he lost, his family that he lost, his possessions that he lost, his house that he lost, his health that he lost, and all that he went through, do you realize that by the end of the book, Job never got an answer to the question, why? In fact, in Job chapter number 40, Job um, answers, or God answers Job after Job contends with God. And God's answer is this. In Job chapter 40, he says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the, with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. In other words, God is saying to Job, Hey, maybe you're just not supposed to have an answer, Job. Maybe it is better for you not to know what you are trying to find out. And I say this with great compassion. That if you're in here tonight and you have been begging God to know why. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Why, Lord? I, I don't push it in your face, nor do I condemn dim you for seeking an answer to that question, but please consider your inability to reason is that maybe in the infinite knowledge of the Lord, as we put all of our faith and trust in him, it's better that we don't know. And Job responds this way in verse number three, then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my, my mouth once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will not proceed. I will proceed no farther. And Job never gets an answer to the question why he went through all that he went through. Now we are able to look back and we are able to see behind the veil of the heavens and we are able to see the accuser of the brethren come in and, and accuse Job before God and we are able to see one of the highest compliments that could ever be given that the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God Almighty looks into the eyes of evil and says, hast thou considered my servant Job? Oh, what a glorious and holy compliment. Oh, what truth was espoused by, by the lips of God, and yet Job was ignorant to it. He did not realize that his sufferings were so that God could brag on Job in front of Satan. And he never learned that so far as the Bible shows us until he came to, to glory himself. I don't know if Job could have handled that answer. You see, we have an inability to reason because we have no idea what God knows that we don't. You see, there is nothing hid from God. Isaiah 46 says, remember the former things of old? For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. He says that he is declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The writer of Romans says it this way, oh, the depth 
of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor. And yes, sometimes when we don't know why, it seems like, like, like God should answer, like God should reveal, like God should explain how this could all be under the hand of his goodness and mercy and grace and love. Yet, we are unable to reason because we are only playing with half the deck. That God sees what we don't. And that is the essence of faith. It is trusting in the fact that he sees more. That he knows more. That he guides perfectly by his hand. And we don't come to God with an ability to reason with him on a level playing field. Laying out our logical arguments as to why God should do what we want him to do. And laying forth our logical arguments of how we are owed an answer now or understanding now. No, we defer to the most high, the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent one. I love the way that Isaiah describes God as God flows through that pen of his prophet. He says, I have showed thee new things from this time even hidden things and thou didst not know them in other words there are times where God has tried to display this unsearchable knowledge and we just do not have the capacity and I know that we feel that it's owed to us but when you don't know why first off let's remember our inability to reason now, to be honest, that's not the most encouraging advice to me. Now, maybe you found great comfort in that. In, in, in you know, I, I just don't know why. And uh, God decided not to give me the answer. Oh, good. I'll just go on with life then. I have a hard time. I need some way to respond in these situations that I cannot give an answer to. And when I look back to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, God clearly gives the answer of what to do when you don't know what to do. He says that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. There are some things that you'll never know. There are some answers you'll never receive and questions that'll never be searched out. And then he says, but those things which are revealed. In other words, in every circumstance, there are some things that God clearly let makes known that are not question marks. They're not things that we have to wonder about because he reveals them to us with crystal clarity. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. In other words, these can't be taken away but must be passed along. And then the verse closes out with this, that we may do all the words of this Law. In other words, even in a lack of knowledge, there is something to do when you don't have the answer. So number two is not our inability to 
to reason, but instead, number two, is our active response. Our active response. I title it this way because whenever you don't know the answer to the question why, sometimes it's debilitating. You don't want to go forward. You don't want to live the fervent and lively Christian life. And so many people get hung up on the the bitterness of the past or scars from the past because they never receive the answer. Why? Therefore, they never move forward. And God calls our attention and says that, yes, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed, they belong unto you. And why does he give them to us that we may do all the words of this law? If I were to go back to our friend Job there, you know, wailing in sackcloth and ashes, scraping boils off his skin with broken pottery. We come to Job in Job chapter number 38 and, and the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind and he says this. When Job tries to respond to God, God responds and he says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? I don't believe that that God is trying to beat Job over the head. I think Job has had it hard enough. But God was speaking very directly. He's saying, Job, don't try to answer things that you don't know. Don't try to answer things that you don't know and don't try to be wise beyond your ability to be wise and, and don't, try to, don't try to delve into things, Job, that I haven't revealed to you. Don't, don't darken counsel. In other words, don't turn the light off on wisdom by words without knowledge. In other words, Job, when you're speaking, and, and I think that God's speaking to Job's friends as well, like when you're speaking about things that you don't know, you're just making it more difficult So what then does both Deuteronomy chapter 29 and the book of Job command us to do? The first thing that it commands us to do in our active response is to focus. To focus. To focus not on the things we don't know, but to focus on the things that we do know. That's the point of Deuteronomy chapter 29. In fact, it's kind of interesting in its context. I don't have time to go into all of these things, but here they are. They're the children of Israel. They're wandering in the wilderness. They're heading towards the promised land. And they're looking for that glorious land of promise that, that God has given them. And they're given this warning, basically, that, hey, if you don't obey, I'm going to bring judgment on you, and I'm going to rip you right out of that promised land. And here are all the children of Israel standing there with, with like, bewildered on their faces like, what? I thought it was a promise. What do you mean he's going to rip it out of our hand? And then comes verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord your God. Just know that yes, God's promised it to you. And yes, you will, your, your people will eventually end up there eternally. But if you mess it up, he's ripping it out of your hand. So we just don't understand. Listen, you don't have to understand all that, but here's what you do need to remember. There are some things you do understand. Those things that have been revealed to you, that's what belongs to you. And those things that have been revealed to you, those are the things that you need to do. In the context of Job's life, in Job chapter number 38, after God tells Job that he's been darkening counsel by words without knowledge, God responds like this in verse number three. He says, 
says, gird up now thy loins like a man. In other words, buckle up, buddy, because I'm about to lay some truth on you. And God says this. He says, for I will demand of thee and, an and answer thou me. And he says, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the, measure, the measures thereof? If thou knowest... Or who hath stretched the line upon it? He's talking about creation. In verse 6 of this passage, God says, Whereupon are the foundations thereof fashioned? In other words, Job, if, if, if you've got it all figured out by your reasoning and, and you're trying to sort through it, then, then you tell me, Job, where could you just point out where are the foundations of the earth? Now, this was before like modern astronomy. Like, could you imagine if Job knew what we knew? Do you realize with all of our telescopes and with all of our, our apparatus and all of our, all of our physics and all of our equations and all of our observations and all of our scientists and with Elon Musk, we still don't really know how this ball is floating around out here. We've got some ideas that it's like this gravitational pull of the sun and the mass of the earth and the orbit and stuff. And I'm talking about stuff. I don't know. I'm darkening counsel with words without knowledge. Job didn't even know what we knew. And God says, all right, Job, where were you when I spoke all this into existence? So, Job, how about you do a footer inspection on the earth? Um, why don't you just find out where the, the foundations are and uh, just tell me where that is, Job. And where were you when I laid those, those foundations? Boy, the God continues to go on with Job. He says, he says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons set, um, shouted for joy, you know, where were you? Where were you then? He said, or, or, or who shut up the, the sea with doors when it break forth as it had issue out of the womb? In other words, when I, when I spoke the sea into existence and the glories of that, that wonderful ocean filled the earth, who was it that put his hand and said, no farther? Here's what he's doing. He's saying, Job, there's a lot of things that you don't know. But you ought to be reminded of the things you do know. He said, Job, that was me. I'm the one that set the boundary for the sea. I'm the one that laid the foundation of the earth. I'm the one that spoke the stars into existence. I created everything you've ever seen with your eyes. Job, it was me. And it's still me, Job. Job, it's still in my hands. It's still under the authority of my voice. Job, I breathe life into Adam. And I breathe life into every man and every woman and every child. And Job, I don't have to take life. I just stop giving it. Because I suspend all these things with the power of my hand. Job, canst thou thunder with a voice like mine? No, because there is none like me. Can anyone stretch out? 
out his arms like I can stretch out my arms. No, because no one has an arm like mine. Can anyone understand my mind? No. Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts, they're not your thoughts. And it's because my thoughts are higher. My knowledge is past finding out. It's unsearchable. It's magnificent. You can go for eternity trying to find the end of me and you'll never find it. And it's not because it loops back on itself. It's because I am eternal from everlasting to everlasting. I am God. And he, that God, is the one that told Jeremiah, a man who didn't know the answer to all of his questions either, of why Zedekiah, why the kings won't turn and repent under God's strong arm. And there Jeremiah is weeping. He's known as the weeping prophet. He's broken. He's bruised. He's under persecution. Everybody hates him. And he's trying to do the work of God. And I'm reading Jeremiah and Lamentations and, and seeing the violence and seeing the depravity in the heart of man. And I'm reading it and wondering, why, Lord? And the word of God comes to Jeremiah in chapter 29, verse 11. He says, God is saying this, the same one that stretches his arms past all of eternity and did all of the work of creation, that same God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. You may not know all of my thoughts, but I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. And he says that they are thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. In other words, God is taking the circumstance of your unknown and it's clear that God, even though you might not know why, he's going to use it for good. You know, we quote that verse all the time, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. But sometimes we don't follow and we don't focus on the reality that that never guarantees that we're going to have all the answers to, to why and, and when and, and how is this going to come about. We come to it believing by faith. And that brings us to the, the final point of this. It is that when we come to the end of, of Deuteronomy chapter number 29, that we see this command that we may do all the words of this law. And they're operating with limited knowledge, but, but there's this idea that, that this is what we're going to do. We are going to commit ourselves to following you, Lord. And when you don't know why, yes, we ought to see our inability to reason. We ought to notice our active response. Not focusing on what we don't know, but focusing on what we do. But then lastly, we ought to be aware of our abundant reliance. Our abundant reliance, which is, which is on the Lord. 
Now, I want to connect a passage to this that's probably a very unusual passage to connect to this. And I'm just going to admit that right out of the gate. I I doubt in the history of of all preaching that Job uh, 40, Deuteronomy 29... And, uh, and Matthew 25 have ever been connected, but here we go. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to go there myself, and I'm not going to read the whole, the whole text, but I want you to see this, and I want you to understand what I, what I see the Lord saying in relationship to our lack of understanding and our lack of knowledge and our lack of having that question answered of, of why, Lord, or, or what are you doing, Lord? So in, in, in this passage, in, in Matthew chapter number 25, we have this, this parable of the stewardship of the talents. And, and you're probably familiar with it where, you know, the, the master, he, he comes together and Jesus is saying this. In verse number 14, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to the other two, and to the other one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. So here we have this story that Jesus is telling, and he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is like this. And if I could, um, there is so much that could be said about the kingdom of heaven, but I'm going to simplify it for this this evening, is that this is how God is operating. When God is on the throne, This is how God operates. And he takes talents and he gives them to these three servants. And and to one servant, he gives five talents. And that guy goes immediately and he invests invests those five talents into into usury. And and then before the master comes back, he's able to make the withdrawal and the money's doubled. Well, praise the Lord. Man, I want to call him up. Financial advisor. I wish I knew his name. The next guy, the next servant has two talents. He does the same thing, invests them, gets two extra talents, comes back to the master when the master returns. And then the third man, you, you know the story. He, he receives one talent. And verse 18 says that he had received and he went, he digged it in the earth and he, and he hid his Lord's money. And then verse 19 is interesting to me. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. I'm interested in that phrase, after a long time. I would be willing to say that in that space of time, those servants had a little bit of uncertainty as to when or if this master's coming back. Not that they weren't told initially, because I think that it was very clear. Initially, they know they're going to have to give their money back, but is he going to come back? Is he not going to come back? How long is this going to be? And after a long time, here they are, and they all have the same opportunity, albeit at different degrees. But they're all operating in the unknown. They don't know how much they'll be able to get back if they invest it and if they get return. But the first two servants, they, they tend to, to agree with one another that 
Boy, our, our master, he is an austere man. Like he, he reaps where he sows not and he gathers where he didn't start. So yeah, he's going to want this back. So we're going to invest it and we're going to give him the increase of it. That's the first two. The other one doesn't do that. The Bible says that, that he you know, hides the, the money you know, in the earth. And, and when the master comes back, he kind of digs it up and he, and he gives him back the talent. And we see this interaction between him and his Lord. And he says in verse number 24, he said, and, and he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. In other words, I've given you back what's yours. And if I could make a, a correlation as the Lord responds and says in verse 26, His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. You say, well, Pastor Jared, how, how on earth does this correlate to Deuteronomy 29 and, and, and Job and... And I'm lost. This is the application. Is it yes? In the context of this, the Lord gives us many talents and gifts and abilities. And, and we ought to use those for his glory. That he can multiply the impact of them. But you know what the Lord also gives us? He gives us trials. You know what the Lord also gives us? He gives us uncertainty. I don't have the question to the answer of why in terms of all of its intricate details, but I, I know that even when the Lord doesn't give the trial, when it's Satan himself that gives that trial, the Lord, the Lord wants to use that trial. Do you not remember the words of Joseph after he'd been cast into the pit by his brothers and later found himself in the prison? All these things befell him. Do you not remember what Joseph said to his brothers at the end? Is that, that the Lord, even though this wasn't the, the Lord, you have, may have meant it for evil, but the Lord meant it for good. And there's a whole lot of wicked things that happen in this world and there's a whole lot of the effects of sin in this world that cause debilitating diseases and cause cancer and cause the loss of life and cause innocence to, to suffer and the Lord didn't cause all that but that master he will reap where he did not sow and he will get gain from where he did not invest and he's saying to this servant look you ought to take every opportunity to do my work. And yes, sometimes those talents came in terms of God's giftedness, but sometimes they come in the inexplicable tragedies and difficult moments and the Lord requires obedience. Even when we don't have the answer. Because the Lord wants to wants to reap even in places they did not sow, 
In other words, he wants to reap out of circumstances that were even caused by the effects of sin. He wants to gather where he has not strawed. He wants to reap from your life glory to himself that he might also reach others even in circumstances that you feel are so much against you. We may never have all the answers to the question why. But we ought to remember that we have an inability to reason, but He is higher. That we ourselves have a responsibility to respond actively in obedience to what we do know. That we might be abundantly reliant on God to give the increase.